Kathy McNames, and Daryl Ellison Jr. Hey, I'm Miss Kathy. Hello. I'm great. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, is it nice out there again today? Um, yeah, it's sunny today. It is. Okay. Yeah. Once again, thank you for uh, doing this interview with me. Appreciate it a lot. I love it. It's so fun. Thank you. Just introduce yourself, if you if you don't mind. My name is Kathy McNames, and I live in Vermont currently. I grew up in Mount Shasta, California, and I've spent most of my adult time practicing, studying, and sharing yoga. Okay. Um, how was your How was your upbringing? It was great. Um, both my mom and dad worked, and they taught high school. So we had all of our school vacations off together, and we did a lot of adventuring, backpacking, camping. My mom and dad are both, you know, real outdoors people, so it was great. I, I had a horse. My grandfather owned a dairy farm. And I had a horse that would spend the winters on the dairy farm, and then it would come to our small town for the summer, and sometimes... We would use it as a pack horse, and our whole family would, like, pack into mountain lakes and then camp for, you know, however long, three or four or five days. Okay. Um, I, when we talked the other day, it was some it was something interesting that you had said about um, how you got into yoga, um, specifically. Oh. Um, could you tell that yeah. Uh, story? Yeah. So when I was tw about, I don't know, I was between 10 and 12, and my mom had the television on, like, she was in the kitchen, but the television was on. And it was Lilia Spolin. And Lilia Spolin was this young woman who had a big, long braid. And it was the 70s, and really long hair was just beautiful. And anyway, my mom was like, hey, you should come watch this. So I ran in and plopped down on the living room floor and Lilia Swollen was doing yoga postures and leading a yoga class. And I showed up for the one where it's like scorpion, where you lie down onto your belly. It's kind of like up dog, but then you bend your knees and your feet touch your head. And I could do it so easily at that age. And I was like, oh, this is, this is kind of neat. So I did catch that show a couple times, but really mostly we were outside, so I didn't catch it that often. But that was my introduction to yoga. What do you believe is your uh, life's purpose? Like, what do you what do you want I to bring? Think, I actually think that just being alive is everyone's life purpose. Like, that we can see and hear, and I know not everyone can hear, not everyone can see, but that we have senses, and that we're on this planet. Like, I really think that is the majority of what we're doing like source or the divine or god or goddess or however you refer to it is exploring um this environment this cool planet through us so if i can kind of keep my 
thoughts out of the way, that isn't the right way to say that. So if I can kind of stay clear and stay present and enjoy, or at the very least feel neutral about what I'm seeing and smelling and tasting and touching and hearing, and um, if my mind is really clear, also what I'm like, uh, kind of, language doesn't work that well kind of psychically picking up on like hunches or thing you know like things in the air um anyway i think that actually being alive and being in the present moment is the purpose of all of us being alive so that's some of my life purpose but i think that that's a pretty like personal thing i don't think it's an overarching thing when you you're talking about ancestral karma and how like things that don't even really i guess have anything to do with you can affect you in some way like can you explain can you explain like uh in your own words how you think about it like what karma is like okay so i do have a whole big trivia list about karma and people use that word very very differently I think that the ancestral karma and everything that makes us up is what we end up expressing while we're alive this time. And I really think that things like if someone was constantly carrying something on their left shoulder all the time, like my great-grandfather, And then I end up with like a funny left shoulder position, Mm -hmm. even though I haven't been carrying anything on my left shoulder. Mm -hmm. I think that things can show up through the body and through habits. So apparently I look exactly like my dad's mom. So my, my grandmother and you know, I didn't, she was an old lady when I met her. And also she was an alcoholic, so she didn't look, and she smoked cigarettes. She didn't look, you know, terribly healthy, but when I was young, I looked exactly like she looked when she was young. And people would recognize me, but I didn't even know. And they were like, you are a spitting image of your grandmother. And I always thought, that's so funny. I thought I was just me, and I thought I was totally myself. But how we look, how we act, propensity toward, um, wanting to be really active or wanting to hold really still, propensity like I was talking toward serving people or not. I think all of those things just are worked into that, how we get here. You know, some people say that different things are different lengths of karma back into history, like alcoholism. I'm not saying that I believe this, I'm just saying it's interesting trivia to think about Mm -hmm. um alcoholism is like a seven generation karmic pattern i don't i i don't know that that's true at all like my parents aren't alcoholics i'm not an alcoholic there's also another map of karma where it's um like more present time it's immediate and there's an idea that we don't actually have to deal with anything in the past, anything that's not current, current, current in the present moment. So in that, karma is either positive, negative, or neutral. And positive karma 
can get you kicked back onto earth just as quickly as negative karma. So neutral karma, doing things with non-attachment, without worrying about the outcome, like know you're doing the right thing for the right situation at the right time, like just being present and, uh, and then not being attached to outcome. So it's su karma, v karma, a karma. Su karma is good karma, and that is just as sticky as bad karma. And then v karma is negative karma, and then a karma is like no karma, neutral karma. I have my own idea about why the positive karma will be bad for you, like you said. But why? Why do you think it it, it has a possibility of being the positive? The positive karma just, has can be negative. Um, just because it's so sticky, like, like if, maybe if, I mean, I love being on earth, so I'm not necessarily trying to never come back to earth again, <laughs> even though it's not the easiest place probably. Um, but it's just as, um, sticky. It's just as trapping as any other, you know, like, I don't know. I just think it kind of keeps you. Like you said, not being so attached to the the positive that you think you're doing. Just like you said, just do it and don't expect anything to right. come of it. Because that and also staying in the present moment, like you're talking about, is going to make you less attached to outcome. Do you have a a faith system? Not so much a, a religion, but something that you're you faithful in. That you... Um. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's like when I've when I've traveled to other countries and I've run into people who have things fairly laid out for them. You know, like this is how it goes. This is how what you do. This is the ritual. This is how this is how it is. Um, one guy I met in Thailand, he said, "Oh, he said, are you Buddhist? Are you Christian?" And I said. Because uh, I'm like, I don't even know how to answer this. Um, I'm like, I'm everything. And he was like, oh, you have open religion. Like, you have open religion. And I thought that's a good way to describe it. Or free religion. Like, free-flowing faith. Free belief in uh, new ideas. Contemplating new things trying on like if I get tied up in something it isn't that I'm never tied up in anything it's just that I have a lot of different tools at my disposal to use to get myself out of a situation that I don't like whether it's like mental physical emotional you know like whatever it could just be the way my thoughts are going and I'm like oh that's not this isn't how I want to spend my day I don't want to spend my day feeling this particular way Taking a nap is a really good one. Um, obviously, I don't always have that opportunity, but napping is amazing. Um, and then I have mantra and I have um, visualizations from Buddhism that I've been working with. And Ho'oponopono is a Hawaiian, it's like a Hawaiian way to untangle things. And then, really, mostly, I try, I don't rely on those so much, so I don't have to have a whole lot of faith because I'm kind of hopefully 
present and the current what's happening. So it's like you're not you're not using your faith to to like try to bring in things that are happening in the future. It's like you just you got the yeah. faith of the of the moment. I, that's what yeah. I'm getting from it. I might be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it's a lot more free, free and open and flowing than structured. Do you believe that's something that you need to have, uh, like faith in something outside of yourself? No, I think that it looks like I have a lot of faith, mm-hmm. but it isn't anything that I have to think about. I'm really usually very comfortable. So I'm not having to uh, fall back on on getting my shit together. And I do think that service, also I'm very, I'm pretty physical. So a lot of my service is like, okay, I'm gonna pick you up and take you to the grocery store or here, let me help you shovel your driveway or, you know, I'm not so into counseling. Mm-hmm. I'm more into, and I think it's all great. I'm just saying my propensity mm-hmm. is toward getting physical things done that need to be done, enjoying things that are, you know, available to enjoy, and really keeping keeping present. Who would you be without um, second-guessing yourself, I guess? I mean, I don't know if... I can put that into words, you know, it's that, it's that undescribable pool of energy that everyone's always trying to describe, like it's, it's either pure bliss or pure contentment or pure love or pure divine energy or it's not, it's not my body, it's not my thoughts, it's not my personality, it's, um, it's not something that I have to try to get to. It's just plenty of energy and not not a lot of extra. You think that's something that you developed on your own, the way you think about your core or... Um... Of course not. I think everyone... <laughs> like, don't we have the tendency to just assume that everyone else is kind of having a similar experience? Mm-hmm. Like... I think everyone has this, um, this ease and comfort and, and playfulness and fun and, and, um, exploration. And I think everyone is kind of, I I mean, I do, I believe that everyone is really driven to do what they do in their life. Um, to let this energy express itself. Like, I feel like I'm just a vehicle for, you know, what comes through, what comes through. My deepest core, I'm I'm almost nothing. Not that you're nothing, but don't identify yourself with who you think you are because that'll always disappoint you. It's like, um, the example I was thinking of is like, if you are if you like to play music, if you like music and you like to uh, play, you, you, it's, not, it's like don't, almost not to assume yourself as being like a, a musician because the moment that you, you falter in it, 
or you don't get to the point where you want to, that's where the disappointment comes. But if you just say that I love to play music, um, it, it becomes less of a pressure and you and you'll you'll like your skill set will expand because you're not you're not put you're not putting yourself under a microscope or like putting right. yourself into that point of self doubt. Well, Every time someone, I mean, I love the power of now, and every time someone puts pressure on themselves or sets goals, and I know goals are really popular in the culture that we live in, and that's totally fine. I'm not against them. Yeah. I'm just against them for me. Mm -hmm. um, but anytime we're reflecting and critiquing or we're planning and we're setting goals, like those things have to do with the past and the future. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do with the present moment and if the present moment is good like if it feels good if you're emotionally pretty happy with the present moment you don't have to be ecstatic every second it's kind of like being a kid mm -hmm. you know how kids just they kind of take it all in and sometimes they're playing and sometimes they're observing and you know if something isn't making them happy <laughs> but it's a little bit of that child mindset with a whole lot of experience behind it. I totally agree with all of that. As long, like you said, as long as you take care of the moment that you're in, everything else, the future, take care of itself. Don't worry right. about the past, but the future and take care of itself because right. you're taking right. care of it right now. And growing up, that's always something that's like people always want you to look towards the future so far. And like you right. said, I, know. I, I understand like having those goals, long-term goals, but it's like, because you don't know where you're gonna have a roadblock in between that. So you're kind of bound well, to be disappointed. And it's only, it's only a roadblock if you're really dead set on that goal. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just life. Yeah. It may turn you, like if you, it may turn you to a better, a better idea like I do feel like things are always working out things are always um, I don't want to say improving because that's so hierarchical but things are always working out and I know I know that there's harshness in the world and I know that there are bad situations in the world and I know that there is suffering in the world like I know I know about all of that and for me to think about it when it isn't happening to me is taking me out of what I could be doing in the present moment, in my situation. Like meditation and yeah. yoga and things like that, it kind of, it, it looks weird to other people when I'm doing the stuff, but it's like, uh, it, it'll, it allows me to deal with where I'm at a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, like I see, you know, I don't think any of the the, the feelings ever go away because I think worry is a is it can be a positive too, like a survival instinct, a survival tactic or instinct, but it it doesn't overtake me as much as it did before. Right. You know, because I'm allowing myself to have that that silent moment with myself. So. Or I'm just gonna, you know, what I do, I just assume that everyone is in the present moment and you know that allows me to really like meet people and and not get involved in everything that they're thinking
it's magic Then why can't it be everlasting Like the sun that always shines Like the poet's endless rhyme Like the galaxies in time If it's pleasing Then why can't it be never living Like the day that never fails Like on seashores there are shells Like the time that always tells It holds the key we tend to value a society of constant suppression, a world of distraction. Our minds, workhorses overloaded by thought and worry. Thus, our mental environment becomes loud, chaotic, abrasive and disorienting. We rarely take the time out to center ourselves in the beauty of the present moment. We don't value silencing the mind enough. This becomes a breeding ground for depression, anxiety and suicidal ideation. Silence is the remedy for healing the spirit. Let no thought conquer you. Calm the mind, and tame its ghosts.
When has your faith been tested the most? Probably when I was really, really young. Probably when I was like six years old. And I had a babysitter that would take me to a very like fundamentalist Christian church where the minister was like, you know, pounding the podium and saying everyone was going to burn in hell if they cussed or if they did, you know, like had one negative thought or whatever. And I remember being as a kid, like this, this being their life. Luckily, that wasn't my family, but I did spend a lot of time with them. Like, their whole life was based on this scary information. And I remember thinking, it can't be true. It can't be true, and I can't say anything about that. But it can't be true. So I think that was the first time where people were like, you know, trying to get me to accept a power outside of myself. And and then have have belief in it being wrathful and also have belief in it. Burning in hell is a huge bad visualization for kids. I mean, it's bad for us as adults, but we have a lot of other things that we can also think about just because we have more history. But as a kid, that whole threat of burning in hell, like that was, super scary and I had to come to the conclusion that the people I were around who would qualify for hell because the I mean which was almost everyone because the rules were so strict I really had to come to my own conclusion that that wasn't correct and that the people I was around who were nice were the people I was going to spend time with and believe in yeah um yeah, my buddy uh, that I work with he told me about a book called um, Conversations with God. And I, I can't remember what the guy's name is, but it was saying that uh, within like the first chapter, he was talking about how um, the people that are like in leadership of they, they especially when you're a kid, they try to, they try to push that narrative of like, if you don't do good and be like this upstanding person that, that, that this is what's gonna happen to you. And then these kids grow up and they're like, yeah. they're like boxed in and, and shelled in because they don't want to do nothing wrong or they don't want to make a mistake. So right. they end up then once they, once they, once they get, it's like the first moment they get to break out, they, they go too far. It's like they don't have a, a, a gauge of being at a, a neutral space of like, I know the difference between good uh, things that are bad and good, but now it's like, I don't know it, so I'm just gone. Right, right, right. And it's like, yeah. it, it makes no sense to me yeah. Why, yeah. why you would put a child through that. <laughs> it just right. seems weird. Right, I totally agree. And it makes me like your family. What have your darkest moments taught you about yourself? And, and also, not just the dark moments, what have your, your highest moments taught you about yourself too? So people them. You know, what's funny is some of my, air quotes, darkest moments have just taught me things like, okay, I'm going to have to cheat on the math test. 
Like, I cannot, I can't get it. I can't get it. I'm not getting this the way other people are getting it. You know, like, some of them were just things where I'm like, okay, I see that this is, this method is working for a lot of other people, and I'm not, and I'm not able to do it, but I still have to stay in this group. And... I would say my darkest moments, again, were probably when I was a kid and people were really trying to uh, treat my learning the same way they treated everyone else's learning. And, I mean, I'm lucky that it was only really with numbers that I couldn't, I couldn't create memory around it because I know people who are dyslexic with letters and that's even tougher but um, I think that when we're treated individually and we're just kind of allowed to grow at our own pace and our own with our own interests and you know uh, those I think that that works better so my darkest moments um, really made me realize that we're not all the same that, that's you know obvious but that was it and um, and then my highest moments are just times of like real clarity real physical power real mental clarity mm. and not physical power like I'm out you know winning weightlifting competitions or something but physical power where I'm very succinct and comfortable and capable in my body and my mind is very clear and so it's kind of how I experience things that are the highs and lows it's not an event it was something you had said um, earlier in that uh, where you were saying that it, it should be, it was it should be obvious that people aren't all the same I've, I've been noticing like lately and I've no, kind of seen this throughout my life, and I'm sure you have it at certain points, but I don't think people see that as being an obvious thing. <laughs> because, <laughs> because like, uh, especially, I mean, when you get older, I think it, it, it changes because you're not so attached to trying to be, trying to uh, be uh, suitable for everybody. But like, yeah. when you're younger, and I do think that people, want to make you learn things the same way as everybody else does it's yeah with 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 schooling with, with uh, religion um, with with just about anything it's like like you're going to learn at the same pace as everybody else and if you don't learn at that pace then right they're going to say that you fall behind but like right the older i'm getting and experiencing life on my doing things my, myself and not depending on anybody it's like it's it's much better to learn at your own pace. You you know, it's like if for me personally, it's like um, I never really cared for uh, for school as much as I probably should have. I don't know, but no, you cared for it the perfect amount for yourself. Yeah, and it's and, just that that isn't super acceptable in society. But I love how much you cared for it. And and it was like. Uh, when when I was there, 
when I was in the classroom, it was like, I didn't, it didn't, I don't know, it just, it didn't feel right. But like, when now since I'm out of it, I'm, I'm more, I'm more open to learning things, probably the same stuff that I learned there. Like, I'd never, I, I enjoy science, but in school, I never enjoyed it. But now, I, I enjoy it because I see the purpose of it being taught to or me wanting to, yeah. to learn it. And also, some of the people on YouTube that if I watch a video, they're a lot more dynamic than, you know, some of my teachers were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, so. like, it's like they, 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 they really break. Like, I think in school, they go over like a, because it's so quick, it's just an hour a day. And it's like they just kind of gloss over everything. Yeah. Um, instead of like going, like showing you why this is affecting this, why this is affecting this, or like with uh, mathematics, why, yeah. at, at what point will I actually use this? And now I'm noticing that a lot of the stuff that I didn't think I would be using in my life, I'm actually using some of it, not all of it, obviously, but. Right, right. It's That's like, cool. there's a, it's a purpose to it, you know, but. You don't get taught that because it's it's just like cookie cutter. Every they want you to learn the same exact way, right? You know, but, yeah. But that's here or there, I guess. <laughs> but um, no, I agree with you. Um, what are some misconceptions that that others may have of you, and why would they, or do you even care about that? <laughs> I don't. I don't really care. Okay. And. All like all of everything. <laughs> like we're lucky that we can even communicate at all. We're lucky that we vibe with each other at all. Like you know, any assumption that people make, which they have to. So we practice making assumptions so that we can survive. Like I didn't get hit by a car today because I made a whole lot of assumptions about traffic. And so far, they've all turned out to be good ideas. So our brain is, our brain likes to have puzzles. Um, so we come up with like, oh, what someone else might be thinking or what someone else, how they picked out that certain whatever job or that certain outfit or that certain, you know, conversation, like whatever. But not, I don't, you know, that, <laughs> not, the amount of ideas that people could have is infinite. And for me to think that I would know what their idea is, is really, that's, that's a long shot. It's probably not true. <laughs> yeah, because um, that's, that's another issue that throughout my life I've had. Like, I'm, like, not so much now with the things that I'm doing, like trying to like with yoga, like I said, yoga meditation, it yeah. leads me to not worry about it so much, but it was like at certain points, it was like, I'm just so focused on what somebody's thinking, if they think I'm this, that, right. and it's, it's, it, it, it is, it'll drive me insane. <laughs> well, and there's so many better ways to spend your time. Yeah. You know? Like, it's more fun to go roller skating or play tennis or shoot hoops or, um, you know, go for a walk. Like, there's so many things that are more fun than thinking. Most definitely. 
Yeah. There's a ton of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, in what ways, like, uh, if, say, if a family member of yours were to come to you and they, they're having an issue of, of maybe overthinking, like, what would you um, suggest that they would do uh, to, to alleviate that or to, to cope with that overthinking? Uh, go for a run, go for a walk, take a nap, take a bath, read a good book, um, and, or let's fix it. Like if you're overthinking something and it has to do with, um, you know, some like danger or like if it's a realistic thing, like there's this big tree, the winds have re been really, really windy and it might fall on my house. Okay, well then let's fix that. You're not worrying about something that's so far removed that it's ridiculous. You're worrying about something that you know, okay, let's get it fixed. I feel like most of my fam I would say all of my family members, like especially my close family, you know, mm -hmm. um, they're pretty clear. And they, they can think about something and then say, okay, I'm gonna set that down and now I'm gonna go do this or think about this or, I don't know, I feel like I don't feel like their minds are getting away from them. Do you attribute that to anything? Um, like, do you know if they have a practice? Um, everyone is pretty grounded in the physical world. <laughs> and realistic and, you know, hard workers. And, and also everyone is generous and not grumpy and... I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that. Maybe that's some of the ancestral karma that I can take for granted that I don't have to think about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, could yeah. that be why you're so you're grounded? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. How important is community in your life? It's kind of like air. It's like, I don't know, I, I don't have to think about air because air moves in and out of my body. It oxygenates my blood. It, you know, like I exist mostly in air, sometimes in water, mostly in air. And that's how community is. Like I have people that I care about and that I love that are constantly ebbing and flowing through my experience so I feel lucky and I don't have to think about it that much. I don't think of community as a thing or that I need more community or that I need to create a community. Like it's it's a lot like oxygen. Like, oh, it's just there, it's available and it's great and I love it and I couldn't live without it. What do you think is the most valuable lesson that you learned throughout your life? Or it doesn't have to be the most, but what do you think yeah. is one that you hold on to the most? I used to have a teacher that was shamanistic and he would say, dance your animal. Every <laughs> single day, dance your animal. And what he meant was, whatever you would like to do, get your body to move. You can climb trees, you can play on the playground, 
you can go for a run, you can literally, you know, dance and do shamanistic things, which I didn't really get into, mm -hmm. but Dance Your Animal is huge, so moving the body every day. There's a story about the Dalai Lama that I heard when I was 19 or 20, mm -hmm. and he didn't know how to speak English yet. So his interpreter was interpreting everything, and he was speaking in San Francisco. People would write down their questions on a card, and then they would come up to the microphone and read their question, and then he, his translator would tell him, and then he would answer the question. And this one woman came up to the microphone and she said, you know, cause, because Buddhism does deal a lot with suffering in the world. So she said, what about, she said, what about self-deprecation? And self-deprecation is a fancy word for not liking yourself mm -hmm. or putting yourself down or beating yourself up or whatever. And so then the translators, you know, said, what do you think about self-deprecation? And the Dalai Lama was like, what? And then the translator was like, blah, blah, blah. And the Dalai Lama was like, blah, blah, blah. And they pulled back from the podium and like had this long talk that lasted for minutes. And then he, the Dalai Lama turned back around and he faced the microphone and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, I did not know about this. Like, in the Tibetan Buddhist culture, self-deprecation did not exist. Mm -hmm. being, being critical of yourself isn't in the language. It's not taught. It's not encouraged. It's not used as a sign of willpower. It's not like... You know how it is in our culture. We were talking about when they're trying to teach kids how to behave through, you know, threats of fear. Yeah. And, and so then kids end up having to, like, through their internal language, decide when they're being good and bad. And none of that existed in the Tibetan culture. And I was like, okay, I don't know much about Tibetan Buddhism. Like, that's the majority of what I know. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I had come up through this system of self-perfection. And, you know, I feel like critical thinking really teaches you to be critical. <laughs> so I had come up through this system. And when I heard that, I was like, ooh, I wonder if I can be like that. I wonder if people can be like, like, obviously people can be like that. They can be with no voice of criticism inside of their head. Mm -hmm. But I thought I would start doing the experiment. And I would say it took about four years before I felt like I was really okay. And that's when I started like being a lot more present and making decisions on how I felt and not on other people's opinions and not on any goals about the future. And if you look at my life, like if you look at my bank accounts or painting that needs to be done on my house or, you know, like not everyone's going to agree that my life is going great. Mm -hmm. 
I think my life is going great. <laughs> like, I like it. I feel good. I don't have any internal fights. I don't have anything looming in the future where I'm like, I got to get that. I got to get to that or I got to get that done or I've got to get this thing erased from myself. You know, like, oh, it's got to like, I don't have all of that. Could I live without self-deprecation? Like, is it is it a necessary tool to make me a good person? And I would say after a hundred years later, I don't know how many years, I was like 19 or 20 and now I'm 57. <laughs> I would say the experiment has worked out that I'm satisfied. I, I'm satisfied. I feel like I'm a good person. I feel like, I mean, I don't even have that much perspective, but if I had to, I would say things are going, you know, like, I'm, I'm good. Everything's fine. I got a question from Mrs. Maria uh, that she wanted me to ask you. That's so sweet. Uh, she wanted me to ask you, because we were talking about it. Uh, it was one day, I think it was after practice. Um, she was just, uh, we were going through, like, how many yoga poses there were. And it was some guy that said, uh, I think, like, she said, some guy said 900. So she wanted me to ask you. How many, in your opinion, in your personal opinion, have yeah. you known there to be? So, what I like is that there is a yoga posture for every single species on the planet. Mm -hmm. I like that number. I don't know what that number is, but, you know, it's a good thing, like, there's a lot of different species of everything on the planet and if there's a yoga posture for every single one and biologists are still discovering new species of animals and and amphibians and you know insects or whatever it's like there are still yoga postures that we haven't done yet mm -hmm. and then and then in krishnamacharya's book the yoga makaranda there's some huge number and then each each generation it drops a zero so it's like you know millions and millions down to a million down to a hundred thousand but it's something like seven hundred and fifty thousand and then you know seven thousand five hundred and then anyway it just keeps dropping down mm -hmm. i could look those numbers up for you i like them because they also start off kind of near infinity. Yes. yes. That's a ton. Oh, that's a, yeah. You said, yes. you said 750,000? Yeah, yeah. A lot. <laughs> but I, I like the vague number of, you know, there's a yoga posture for every species on the planet. That's cool. I'm just stoked to meet you. And you and Maria talked about us all talking. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, she was she was really excited because uh, yeah. we were, I had went to practice work today and like in the middle of the practice she's like uh, oh, oh you got your interview today don't you I was like yeah she was excited oh that's <laughs> so sweet so yeah this uh, this is a this is an honor for me too um, me too I'm glad that she introduced me to you um, yeah me it, too so um, thank you.
Thank you. I can't wait to listen and I'll share it around. Thank you.